welcome to Call of the Pen, episode nine. And uh, we are still looking for music, intro music. If anyone has any ideas or they could play guitar or drums, we'd really appreciate that because we do not want to get sued. So anyways, <laughs> today's guest, we have two-time NBA champion, Jordan Farmar. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Steve, you got any qu questions for Jordan to kick us off? Yeah, actually, I mean, I got a bunch of questions that have been asked um, from some <laughs> friends some people on Twitter, but... Let's get it um, started, man. Yeah. Um, first of all, who who most influenced your game? That was, that was one of the questions I like that I got here. And who was your favorite point guard growing up? So I guess it kind of goes hand in hand. My favorite point guard growing up was Nick Van Exel. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I was a Laker fan my whole life. Uh, Nick Van Exel was our point guard at the time. Um, I fell in love with his game early on. You know, he wasn't a high draft pick. He was a 37th pick in the draft, but he made it happen and found a way. And I remember like walking through the halls of my middle school, little pigeon toe, because that's how he walked. And my stepdad would take me to the local park and tie my right hand behind my back and we'd play one-on-one -on -one and I'd only use my left hand. Um, but yeah, Nick the Quick was definitely that's my sick. guy growing up. That's awesome. I mean, Kent, so you had a guy growing up. Who was it that got you rolling? For basketball? No, baseball, dude. Yeah, basketball. Oh, I'll say John Stockton. I'm the only <laughs> white guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say Pedro. I was a big Pedro fan. He was short, and I, I think I was short, so he gave me hope. Yeah. It's funny that he says Nick Van Exel wasn't a high draft pick, 37th. If we got drafted 37th, we'd be high-fiving each other thinking yeah, but we're there's someone only, walking there's only in. only 60 picks. It's, yeah, it's, much, it's a much different draft. But, yeah, to that's be true. a franchise guy and, like, a lead guy for the Los Angeles Lakers, you would assume that they were So when you guy. got drafted with 24th? 26th. 26th overall, you thought overall. you were the franchise walking in? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, not even close, man. Uh, there might have been some guy in that, that locker room that was going to have a say about that. We had a, fr a franchise that. guy already. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. No, that was that was never, you know, um, my role as a professional. You know, I came in, I, I was a McDonald's All-American in high school and All-American in college, but once I got to the pro level, I pretty much was, you know, penciled in as a, as a backup, you know, could be a starter in a different situation, but where I was with the Lakers at the time, um, trying to win championships, I was not a franchise guy, but found a way to make it happen and really got to have a great career. So we were going to, let's go from the all American to go on the championship at UCLA. We were talking about earlier off the air about the mental game for high expectations. Yeah. So Steve was a fifth rounder. I was 40th round. So there's like not much expectations for us to obviously get to the big leagues. But for you, I mean, you're under, especially playing in California all the time. Yeah. There was a lot of high expectations. What point do you think you're, you, I don't know, were you born, naturally born with the mental strength? Or do you think at some point you had to work on the mental game? And how did you approach those high expectations? And how did you deal with it? Um. I think we talked about it a little bit earlier that I don't think anybody makes it to the level that we made it to if you don't have a mental edge, if you don't have something different mentally to separate you from the pack. So I think we're all born with it somewhat, but you definitely develop it over your career. Uh, for me personally, like I talked about earlier, just getting so caught up in the actual competition itself and wanting to beat you that I'm not thinking about the outside consequences of if I miss this shot, if I turn the ball over, if I don't play well, because we are battling right now, we're competing. And so that stuff doesn't matter. 
I would say the stat sheet only tells me what happened yesterday, right? right. It doesn't tell me what's going to happen moving forward. So having a short memory, um, learning how to be confident when you do do things well and repeat those successes and then just going out there and really competing. I, I think you see that at every level in every sport. You can tell the difference from the guys who just are good at the game and the guys who really love to compete. Right. And that makes it easier to perform under pressure because it's a game. It's a challenge. If we're playing Monopoly, if we're playing cards, if we're playing horse, it doesn't matter. I want to beat you. And that just translates to the highest level as well. No, that's great. And don't I, play I Monopoly I, against Jordan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't, just Monopoly. Be, don't play Monopoly if you're just going to give away boardwalk and park place for the purple <laughs> shit. Like, yeah, and the guy, the guy, the guy has a contractor. He's hustling out there as it is. He knows how to play Monopoly. What do you got Anyways. for him, Steve? Well, no, you, you touched on it a little bit because um, we, we've talked about it often on the show is how to deal with failure. You know, having a short memory. I mean, and at the highest level in baseball, it's going to be the same as basketball. Like how you deal with the past game's failure. You know, how did you process that? you know, throughout your career to be able to bounce back, like I said, have a short memory, but it takes some, you know, some mental skill to have a short memory. And what were some things you did to forget about that, move on to the next game and, and, you know, put together. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think run. it's only um, relegated to failure. I think it's a success as well, right? Like you have to have a short memory in general. If you get too high on yourself thinking that you got it all figured out, um, that's when yep. stuff happens poorly, right? Then, you, then you hit a slump or a bad game or something like that. And you're really, struggling mentally i think the confidence comes from the work you put in before you hit the bright lights you know you're in the weight room mm -hmm. you're getting shots up or for you guys pitching and so that's what gives you the confidence of knowing i've done this a million times before and then yep. when you perform well some of its luck some of its timing some of its preparation all of it kind of combined but you don't get too high on that and you don't get too low when it doesn't go your way you're like you know that's just the, the law of averages. It's going to kind of balance itself out over a career. If you just keep doing what you're doing and putting the work in, you're there for a reason. You know you belong. Um, I think for me, one of the things that always stuck with me is someone told me, you know, do what got you here. Every time you get somewhere, they're going to try to change you a little bit and try to mold you into the perfect version of a player. But in the NBA, there's 450 guys and everybody brings something different. So you really get to the place where you know who you are as a player. And you know what your strengths yep. and weaknesses are. And the more you can play to, to those things, the more even keel you can kind of stay mentally. Oh, that's great. I mean, dude, in baseball, it's the same. I mean, it's different in every sport, I'm sure. But I remember one year, I'm in the minor leagues. You know, this is where you develop. I'm 6'5". I'm throwing sidearm. They're trying to get me to throw over the top, the Marlins were. And I'm getting rocked. And like, yeah, I'm throwing a little bit harder. But they wanted me to be a prototypical guy that throws from up here. I got destroyed that year and ended up being the best thing ever happened to me because they were like, look, you do your thing. You're obviously a different bird. You know, do what works for you. So like you said, just <laughs> your strengths, man. I just learned how to play off the strengths and I think that's what, you know. So I'm going to guess you, you routine. I'm, I'm not a big routine yeah. guy. Yeah. So you didn't have a daily no. routine as far as preparation? The only thing that I did was get to the arena early and shower and shave. Like, that just made me feel fresh. Okay, but so that was, your, that was your routine? That was my routine, but I mean, <laughs> like, I, I'm not like a superstitious guy. Like, if I didn't get that done, I was going to no, play yeah. poorly or something like that, you know? Some guys need to put their socks on the same way and eat the same meal and, you know, no, yeah. really get to, like, almost liken themselves into the game versus I had a routine where, like, it just felt comfortable. I got there, I took a shower, I felt fresh and ready to hit the court fresh. But um, if things happened throughout the day and I didn't get the proper nap or I didn't eat the right food, I still felt that I could perform fine. What time did you guys have to show up to the, to the stadium? Uh, hour and a half before the game. 
Oh man! Yeah, it's not like baseball. Wow. You gotta get on that one. There all day and stuff. Yeah. Oh man, you want to take a nap by the time the game starts? Jeez, that's awesome. Can you imagine? One thing, I guess we had something ahead. like that American Legion <laughs> week with uh, Joe Madden, but yeah, Joe Madden might do that. Those little league days were the best. Little league week, show and go yeah. was the best. That's what, yeah. Yeah, I, I used to sleep with my jersey on and my shoes tied before little league. <laughs> really, little league baseball, basketball, everything. <laughs> Pull off the covers and go to the brush my teeth and hit the. Hit That's the what uh, yeah. Rizzo Anthony. Remember Rizzo? We had to fly to DC overnight, and he wore his whole uniform on the plane because he slept. He slept it in all, and then went straight to the field. Way to play a double yeah. header. <laughs> yeah, he was Sorry. grinding that week. I have the T-shirt. Like, I'm doing anything for a hit. Yeah, he would okay. do anything for a hit. <laughs> then uh, one question: Like, obviously, you played at the highest level of the highest games with the most probably intense competitor you could ever be with. How do you stay present when one, you're at your prayer, you're playing in the NBA championship you, and you got one, you got to stay present there. Mm-hmm. And two, the guy, your teammate has a crap load of high expectations for you. And were you scared to make mistakes? I think it goes to the same conversation we had earlier of not being afraid to make mistakes because we're competing. But I think when you're on a championship team, the culture amongst the team kind of develops everybody's vibe and everybody's attitude. We police each other. You know, it's not like the coaching staff has to do something or the manager says something specific. It's like you have enough respect for the guy next to you that you police each other. What Phil Jackson was really good at is creating an environment where everybody could be themselves and personalities didn't really matter. Like you can have someone like Dennis Rodman or whatever. that's like these extreme personalities, but still able to mesh with the team. Um, with the Lakers, we did team therapy, you know, so we had a team therapist and we would go in there and say, Hey man, I'm really struggling. You know, I'm fighting with my girlfriend. I'm not playing as much. I'm on a contract here, whatever. And and the whole team knew kind of where everybody was at and was able to support each other. And then also talking about, you know, the therapist would say, you know, Kobe, what do you do to get ready for the game? And he, you know, his, his trick for himself was I am in character. When I get to the arena, I am the superhero who always comes through. You know, like, I'm always going to save the day. I'm always going to make the plays. I'm always going to do the right thing. That is the character that I play. And so that was his little niche. And That's so awesome. we were able to all kind of bounce off each other, know where each other stood at all times, and support one another through it. And so the team definitely plays a big aspect in how you feel. I know I'm sure both of you have been on bad teams, and the vibe every oh, day yeah. is much different than when you're on a team that has championship aspirations. That's so true. Oh, yeah. So that helps, though, like, when you show up to the stadium or arena, you don't have to feel like you need to be the hero because you already know this guy already says I'm doing that role. So now you can more focus on what your role is. Like just yeah, do your just job. Also like everybody yeah, checking in with one another, knowing where the next man stands and how they are mentally. And, right. you know, you can pull someone aside when you know they're struggling and be like, Hey man, it's going to be good. We're going to need you down the road. You know, this next series is going to be your series because you match up perfectly with whoever we're matching up against. And right. That's how it is in basketball. Same in baseball. Like, you know, they might pull the right hand around, bring in a lefty, and it's like, damn, I could get that guy. But, like, it's kind of like just all everybody working together. Yeah. It's the same in basketball. There'd be series where I wouldn't play. And then Aaron Brooks from the Houston Rockets was giving Derek Fisher a hard time. It's like, okay, Jordan, now this is your, your chance to go and, and figure it out. So um, everybody kind of has their time. There's be, you know, lulls and peaks and valleys where you play more than you don't. It just, it just kind of – comes and goes at times, but when you're really in tune with your teammates and you have a good group of guys on and off the floor, it really helps you kind of stay even keel. I love that. I love the team therapy. Like yeah. we should have done that. You could have helped me out a lot more, Steve. 
always <laughs> <laughs> talking you off the ledge every day. What are you talking about? <laughs> the, the, I mean, it's a little bit different, though, I feel like, in baseball, right? I mean, we play a ton more games, but it's just from the team aspect. It's such an individual sport. It's a, I always call it, this just sounds stupid, an individual team sport because every single individual on the team has something so specific they have to do that actually becomes a like one-on-one battle, pitcher versus batter. You know, Balls hit and play, the pitcher is now out of control, the shortstop's got to take over. And I don't know, I just yeah. feel like it's just the locker room dynamics a little bit different cause, and it's also a bigger team, right? I mean, it's, yeah. you have it's a, so a trusting, small, though. tight-knit group in, in basketball. I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but I would assume that both of you guys can point to a veteran who helped you when you needed it, when you were struggling, when you were going through something, or maybe you were the veteran oh, yeah. for the next man coming up, right? Like, so for me, I had Luke Walton and Lamar Odom and um, guys like that that took me under their wing and were able to you know, help me become a professional and get through. You don't play for five games. You're like, why am I not as good as my counterpart who I've been busting their ass for the past 10 years, you know, since we were in high school and now I'm not playing and just having those people in your corner helping you get through. And then five years passes and you're that guy telling the same exact thing to the next man coming up, you know, so it's kind of like this, this cycle of we're all in this together. And then when we stop playing, we're all done playing now. We're, we're all a family, whether it's we play the same sport or not, or when you see somebody that you played against, you feel like they're your brother, even though you might have hated them, you know, while you competed against each other. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, man, it's good to see you. We've yeah. been through the same struggle together. You know, that grind. Dude, that's yeah. such a good point. I got like, hopefully he, he, if he listens to it, it's fine. But I got the most random call after I said I was retiring. It's from a teammate of mine who I respected. Like he's a veteran guy. He was all business. Um, but when it came to baseball season, I barely, we barely talked in passing in the hallway. He said, hello, he's a position player. I was a pitcher is kind of how it worked, but he was like, just beeline to what he needed to do next. And after my career, you know, he called me, we had one of the greatest conversations ever for like an hour and a half. He's just congratulating me on a great career. It was so fun to watch, like all these positive things. How I'm like, dude, I actually like looked up to this guy, whether he knew it or not as a young player. You know, just he saw how he handled his business. And then for him to call, um, I didn't even think we had that much of a relationship. Like uh, we were, he's like, you're a brother. We're brothers. We're a brotherhood now. It it really is. I mean, taking a step away from the game, you really feel it more so than ever. But when there's movement during your career, you know, like you might have hated a guy on another team, they get traded to your team. And now you got to be on the same team. You're like, dude, I hated you. Yep. I didn't realize you were a cool guy, you know, but I thought you were an asshole for <laughs> Pedro five years. And now, <laughs> you know, we're, we're going out to dinner together. We're playing cards together. We're boys. And then you start to realize that we're all just individuals trying to navigate the same game. You know, we're trying to figure it all totally. out. And it's definitely a brotherhood when you see somebody, whether you were close or not, you could be walking through the airport somewhere that you're never being. You notice someone that you played against three times and you feel like you have some sort of connection to them. Totally. So That's true. great. I totally yeah, thought Steve was a nerd, and <laughs> then we hung out. The first time I met Steve, I'm, I'm definitely a nerd, but not the second time I met Steve. But I had to rent, I had to borrow Steve's truck when I was in spring training with Miami, and he was out of town. I fly into Jupiter, and I go to his house to get his truck. He he has a big truck. He put a little baby step stool waiting for me. <laughs> Such a jerk. Yeah, he's too short. Huh? <laughs> That's like just a, that's just funny, like funny camaraderie stuff. I'll never forget sure. going through the grind, but we, he always made it fun. And then he put me on a scavenger hunt one day at Wrigley because I tried to send him an early breakfast. Because when we were in Cincinnati, they sent me an early breakfast. So I tried to repay him. And 
Rizzo caught it and gave it to him. So I show up to the stadium one day and my whole locker is empty. And I'm like, come on. Like, I'm, uh, I don't know. It's, you know, in the middle of the season, you're just in a bad mood. Like, I was always in a bad mood. I was just, that was my, I guess, salt. way I would show up. I was just salt. That was yeah. just, I get in my personality and that's what I was. So then Steve takes my clothes away and now I'm just mad. I can't do my routine. can't do nothing. Now I got to go around this whole stadium. So we had, I show up, there's a camera crew following me. I'm like, what the heck's going on? He's like, oh, where's your stuff at? Uh. <laughs> So then he sends me to the bullpen. I had to go to the run of the bullpen. Something almost fell. Did you set up something almost fell on my head or like a firecracker or something? I set up a firework when you opened the bullpen phone. It's supposed to explode and it didn't. It was a dud. <laughs> and then I had to run to the top of the bleachers. And then I had to, either way, by the time I get back, I can't find anything. He put him in the safe of my locker. And he drove this little Fiat. I totally wanted to put the Fiat in the middle of the outfield during batting practice. <laughs> the mini Cooper. I should have done that. I thought yeah. for sure it would have been like a so, ball picker for like a golf course driving range. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People yeah, ask I mean, me all the time. It's the little things. It's yeah. the little things. People ask me all the time what you miss most about the game. And it's being one of the guys. Like really, that's what you miss yeah. the most. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, my dad played pro baseball. So I grew yeah. up on the baseball diamond. I grew up oh, I traveling with him and I was a bat boy for every team he was either playing on or coaching on. Um, and they would do that stuff to me. You know, they'll tape a cup to my helmet or they'll put, you know, tape on the back of my shoes and light it on fire. Tell me to go get the box of left-handed curveballs, you know, like. And you fell for that? Nah, man, I'm uh-huh. a baseball player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was a baseball player first, but I'm um, so, but, but yeah, just the rookie pranks, the, the being with the guys, city to city, going to different hotels and dinners and like, yes. just being one of the guys is what I, what you miss the most. The game is fun. The competition is great. Like you'll always miss that. You can never get it back yeah. playing pickup after, you know, you're done, but really just having that camaraderie with your, with your teammates and then seeing them after your career is over and what people are doing now and being able to like link on that level is cool too. Do you think the camaraderie is what made you guys such a great team? For sure. That's yeah. the difference between the good teams and the bad teams, to be honest. I mean, talent is across the board, but holding each other accountable, having leadership that really is committed to winning and then being, you know, best friends on and off the court. Because if you really care about the guy next to you, you're going to perform differently. Yeah, for sure. Even if even in baseball, like you might lay out for a ground ball to not let it get through the gap or whatever, because you really love your pitcher, you know? Yeah. Like I'm in arbitration, man. I need that out right there. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, so for sure. I definitely <laughs> think um, that camaraderie on and off the field court, whatever makes a huge difference. How did it feel to actually win? Like, the champion like I've, I've i've been watching the nuggets you see everyone's crying and then i'm watching hockey everyone's crying and i never got that feeling i came close kind of but you did it twice like yeah. what is that inside feeling like it's amazing man i mean for me to put it in perspective people don't know my career um i was a laker fan right as a, as a kid oh, growing up in la so i went to the parade in 2000 when i was in eighth grade then 2006 i get drafted that's in 2000 eight were in the NBA finals. And for me, we lost the first one. So we went to the finals and we lost to Boston the first time. So oh. I had a heartbreak first before the success. I wasn't going to bring that feeling. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should have won that series too. But, but yeah, so for me, it was crying the other way, right? Like looking across the locker room and Kobe Bryant's in tears, Lamar Odom's in tears, I'm in tears, Derek Fisher's in tears. And you're like, damn, we're not going to let this shit happen again. Right. And so... What was good for us is our nucleus stayed the same and we would add one piece every summer. We were together for four straight years. And so 
the same guys are like, okay, we know what it takes to get there. We're not going to let this happen again. And then to go the next season, make to the finals again, win next season after that, make to the finals against Boston, and then <laughs> and then win that one in seven games. Redemption. That was, that was what was special, to have the defeat first. Against and them. Then, and then be able to right. triumph later. Yeah. Instead of just showing up and just winning, you got to experience that. Yeah, like we we th- that pain. It was a lot of like build up. Right. Yeah, it was a lot of build up to what you've been wanting to experience your whole life. I can only imagine the relief and the emotions that would be. Oh man, especially because yeah. I mean the Boston Laker rivalry is like one of the best in sports, and so I don't yeah, know. Sure. Did you guys feel feel? Did you guys feel it even during the regular season when you played the Celtics? Like like this, 100%. we have to win this game. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you definitely feel it. It's it's like Yankees Red Sox. It's like it's just one of those things in sports where you know it. The vibe is different. The energy in the in the building is different. Um, and then to have lost, like you don't want to let it happen again, you know, because it goes down yeah. in history. You start you start thinking about Magic and Kareem and Bird and Parrish and you know um, all those guys back in the day. You're realizing that you're a part of the this new history that's getting written. So. For yep. sure. That's, so That's awesome. awesome. Man, yeah, we needed to play on a World, World Series team. What's that? I said, man, we needed to play on a World Series team. No, I got traded away from one every year. Every time I got I got traded away, they won. So I did all, something was they wrong did with something me. right. Yeah. It's <laughs> 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 good GMs. Oh, that was so painful to watch the Nationals. That was painful. Did they give you a ring still? No, I got traded away the year before. Oh, I had a two-year deal. I had a two-year deal. And yeah. I was supposed to be on that team. Yeah. And then stuff went down, and then I got traded away, and I had to watch all that. And then I had to watch the Phillies go to the World Series last year. (laughs) Yeah, I I get it. I get it. I think it's cool to um, (laughs) for me to have been developed by the team that we won with, right? Like I got drafted by the Lakers and was able to like work my way into the rotation, work my way into being a valuable part of the team, and then um, win that way versus like joining a winning team or getting traded midseason or something like that. I think that was pretty cool for me. Yeah, that way you like you were. They brought you into the building, and then they yeah, drafted you the, to do this. Exactly. I was one of the pieces yeah. they needed to start and help this rebuild that they were working on, and it ended up working out kind of thing. That's awesome. What do you got? So give me a – We love, obviously, I love the mental stuff, and we keep talking about it. But give me the, the Mamba mentality that Kobe always brought. Like, what did you learn, and or did you even learn anything from it? And Of course. You can't not learn something being around him every day. I mean, there's not – a specific individual story that sticks out, but it's just more like put your big boy pants on. Like you're here to do a job. We got one shot at this legacy thing. Like, you know, we are not just here to just go out there and and make some money or just play around. We're trying to really win and put our imprint on the game. And um, I think fortunately all the guys who were on that team were of the same caliber, you know, and that's, you hear a lot of stories about Kobe where like he didn't get along with teammates, but if you were like him and if you were going to go in the trenches and he knew he can count on you, he got along with you. Great. But if, if he knew that you were going to fold under pressure or you weren't built the same way, then he would, he would be hard on you. And those are the guys who had the most problems. So he was trying to test you constantly to hopefully either yeah, toughen you up or he's getting you out. I don't think it's a conscience testing. I mean, maybe it was, he's, he's built a little bit differently, but right. I think it's more of like, just an innate sense of what's going on in the room. You know, who, who I'm in there with. It's kind of like, you know, when you have a predator prey situation, you just feel like I know what's going on. And he was like that. And he wasn't going to let anybody affect his legacy. Really not. So I don't know if there's a specific instance that I can point out other than it's just like what you feel and what you learn day after day after day. 
Right. Ray Allen on the Celtics went three for 12 one game or whatever, had a terrible game, quote unquote. And I'm sitting in the back of the bus with Kobe and I'm like, would you ever go three for 12? He's like, I might go three for 30. <laughs> but he's like, 12 shots, I don't know if I'm off yet. Like I might make the next 10, you know? Right. And that, that's just mentality. It's like, I'm not thinking about the failure. I'm trying to beat you. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Shooters he's not thinking shoot. about being three for 12. He's thinking about how the heck he's going to win this game. Yeah, he's like, I know I've made 10 shots in a row. So right. I could easily be 13 for whatever it is, 22, and have a great game. You know, so he's like, I'm, the game is not over, and you're not going to beat me by me not being aggressive. Yeah, it's true. So many people get scared when crunch time comes up. Starting pitchers, I mean, that, that'd be a, a pretty good parallel, I feel like. You, you're grinding early on. Like, no, you still yeah. got more bullets in the chamber. Like, you don't even know if you're going to hit your yeah, stride man. this game yet or not. No, the manager is going to come rescue them. The analytics said you can't save these guys. Yeah. That's analytics ruins sports, man. That's just my hot take for the day. Oh, you're I mean, analytics the preaching of the choir here. Ruins sports. <laughs> like I said earlier, stats only tell you what happened yesterday. And then the people making decisions based on stats usually never play the game and don't know, like, the je ne sais quoi never. what it takes to be a primetime elite athlete. Um, and then sometimes the eye test says more than the stats will ever say, right. you know, like, I know you were getting guys to hit ground balls. You're not striking people out, but you're doing your job. Um, and that means more than the stat sheet. Exactly. And so it's hard because casual fans will just look at the fantasy sports or the stat sheet and be like, this guy sucks or whatever, right. but not realizing how much he brings to the table. And it could be, um, the little stuff behind the scenes that nobody who doesn't play has an idea about. Right. And the people that are making those decisions, they had never, they haven't done that art either. So they're, they're playing basically fantasy sports, exactly. making decisions. And they, if there's the analytics doesn't agree, they get scared because they don't know how to quantify this. So they're like, we don't know how to, I don't know how to justify this. Let's just get them out yeah. and don't yeah. put them in those big situations. That's what drove me nuts a little bit. And so many teams was like, Yes, I was. I didn't strike many people out, but I wasn't trying to. My job was to get in and out. Like Steve, I said, Steve wouldn't have played, set, pitched seven hundred and something games if he wasn't available every day. But he was available every day because he had very efficient innings. Yeah. He wasn't in there trying to strike out the side for twenty-five pitches. My best ability right. is availability. That's exactly. true too. Guys who can stay healthy, 100%. you know, is more than a guy who shot forty percent from three. Like if a guy who plays every day and plays both ends of the floor, and you can rely on them, that is a a valuable thing. But you said something, too, about um, not being able to justify their decisions. I think pro sports across the board, 90% of the decisions are how can I cite my work? Like you're in school, right? Like you have to put a footnote. I got this information from this other book, right? So right. I made this decision because the stats back me up. And as long as they can look at their owner or whoever and say that, you know, this is why I did it. Everyone else would have did the same thing because mm -hmm. it's right here, plain as day. There's not too many people that have the balls to make decisions that go against that and say, I just feel it in here that this guy is the right guy, that this guy will help our team. Mm -hmm. Right. But you can notice it like crazy when you look at someone like the Miami Heat and see the culture that they develop and guys that didn't get drafted and they're the eight seed that barely made the playoffs that are playing in the NBA finals right. because of the culture, not because of the stat sheet. And right. So it, it's clear as day when you really break it down, but there's not a lot of people in those positions that, that manage that way. I just feel like they don't yeah. – try to get to know the person not at all like last and let's just, i mean i always say george Girardi, but george Girardi always said i'm trying to put you guys in the successful what makes you successful but do you know like me and do you what what makes me successful like i need i need stress i need high leverage i need yeah. 
put me in the tough situations. Don't put me in the easy setup situations. That's so you're a guy that likes to be, for the lack of a better word, cussed out versus coddled. You don't want someone to like stroke your ego. You want someone to say, hey, man, I need you to step the shit up. Yeah, I need yeah. you. So you suck right now. Like, yeah. suck it up. Get we talked about it. We had your ass. Let's go. Right. We talked about our last episode. It was, we were, t- I said, I, I was tired of sucking. Like, I, and I, I just was tired of it. And I needed to figure out how to get, I needed to get out of, change my mental approach. So that off season, we talked, I talked about how the way I approached the game. Steve was successful with being under that manager. I went to him. How did you, how did you approach it? So then I was just changed the way I was open, the way I thought when I showed up to the field and how I prepared for the game because I was tired of sucking. It was like, man up, or you're going to be out of the league. Yep. And yep. it happens I mean, fast. You can, so you can, out of the league real fast. And you can place all the blame on managers, coaches, whatever, but at the end of the day, it's your career. And like, all right, well, I don't like how he's pitching me. I got to do something about it then. And then it's on you. No matter what, at the end of the day, it's on you. Like, how are you going to react to that? How are you going to react to your teammates? How are you going to be a good teammate? It's all about how you handle those situations. Yeah, so it's I, a fine balance between being coachable and being responsible for your own career, right? Like totally. you have to do things the way that you're being asked to, to a degree, but if it's not going to re- produce results, then you're going to be out of the league and they don't care. They'll just get the next person. So exactly. it's a really fine balance. Yeah. You know, people try to help you with your shooting and say, you know, you need to keep your wrist loaded before you get the ball because this is technically the right way. But for me, I had a soft wrist and I loaded the ball as I rolled it, but that was my touch. That, so when you take that away, I don't have as much touch. So we shoot a thousand shots the wrong way for me that doesn't feel right. I'm trying to be coachable, but at the end of the day, I'm like, thank you for your input, but I got to do it this way. I got, I'll just make the shots yeah. when they come to me, you know, kind of thing. And it's the same thing you're talking about throwing overhand versus throwing sidearm. At some point, you got to take responsibility in your own hands and say, I appreciate you guys, but this is this is who I am. Yep. Hey, random question. How many shots would you take a day growing up in high school? That's up. Oh, like to get to that level. A thousand a day. Thousands a day. <laughs> I had a bus <laughs> pass, a basketball, and a Walkman. And I would take the bus to school. I had the key to the gym. So I would take the bus to school, get there an hour before school started, just me in the gym. There's something about like turning the lights on and you hear those like fluorescent lights start uh, to hum. Uh, and you hear the ball yeah. bouncing and you're the only one. It's just doo doo you know, and then just being in there for an hour a day um, as a 13 year old kid in high school, shooting thousands of shots. And then I start my day, go to school, and then we have basketball practice after school. So I don't get home again until 10 at night or whatever. I leave five in the morning and home at 10 at night and just rinse and repeat. Wait, so you took an initiative yourself to show up early, took the bus because you couldn't, if you couldn't get a ride, you want to take the bus to get there. And then these days we can't get parents to drive us somewhere i mean yeah. steve would drive to, well an hour and a half two hours every day to go train at cresties and drive home like it was three hours so, round trip so we're on to something people that are successful took the initiative of themselves to go get it done they didn't rely on other people that's what i feel like we're totally missing in this generation for sure <laughs> everyone, wants, well, everyone the wants the easy way out yeah it's yep. easy to make the excuse man but mm-hmm. The reward for doing it the way we did it is unmatched, you know. And you appreciate it a lot more. You just talk about how you just love the the, the lights and then the dribbling, like that's what you remember, the hard work. Yeah. When you walk into the when you put that Lakers jersey on, you probably thought about those days when you're a thirteen year old kid. For sure. I mean, that's what gives you the confidence to perform to perform under pressure that we talked about earlier. Like I know this yep. gym so well. I know when I bounce the ball right here, it's a dead spot, you know, kind of thing. Like I just been in there for hours and hours by myself. 
that now that the stadium is full, it doesn't matter. It's I've been here alone. Yes. Uh, it, it gives you this like sense of peace. It's it's for me, it's um, my therapy. You know, it's it's my sanctuary. It's my chapel. It's like I can go there and just be alone and a game of basketball took care of me. So I love it. That's cool. All right. So you were drafting what? 06, you said? 06. Yeah. All right. So from this is another question we had pop up from 06 to today. How much has the game evolved? How much has it changed? Uh, a lot, <laughs> a lot. Definitely in my yeah. favor if I was 15 years younger. I mean, the way I played right? the game prior to getting drafted was very much the style of play now. Running gun, relying on being able to make shots to open up the game, being a cerebral player and being able to see the game and set guys up. And it'd be much more free-flowing. You know, I got drafted into the triangle offense where you have Kobe Bryant posting up, Pau Gasol posting up, Andrew Bynum posting up. So the key is just crowded all the time. So you have to be able to just learn how to only catch and shoot. Whereas now, if you wanted to just dribble up to three-point line and you were open, you could let it fly. And so it's definitely a different style of play. We talked about the same thing with baseball too. I mean, with the pitch clock and things like that, the game is changing and the game will forever change. And guys in my position and guys before us will always say, oh, if, the, if I was playing now, you know, I would have done better, whatever. That's just the, the story. The money goes up, everything. It's just this, it's the same story in every profession over every, you know, time frame generation yeah there's so much more money though there's so, so much, much oh my god basketball is so much money did you know he said crazy. there's a there's like a bottom floor they have to spend like so can you explain that what you're saying with the re revenue and if they yeah, have so players get 50 percent of basketball revenue and so whatever the the league made that year sets the cap or the floor for the next season the cap and the floor basically and so if a team right. likes you and has to spend the money They'll pay you even if you're not "quote unquote" worth that that dollar amount. That's nuts. Right. I know. Well, the the thing the reason why we don't have a floor is because we'd have to have a cap, and the players don't want right. a cap. We don't want to allow a cap. You have no cap. Right. Yeah. That's the that's otherwise we'd we'd be floral. I mean, no. the, the max guys make a lot of money, but if it was a free open market, they'd probably make all the money, and then everybody else would just get the crumbs. You know, yeah. so well, they're of... trying to take care of everybody. And every time you're in negotiations, you feel like you got a bad deal in terms of the CBA, but did it we nba didn't get a bad deal everybody's getting paid you know they're everyone. doing yeah everyone is everyone's doing nothing. well <laughs> nothing yeah well <laughs> they kind of use the luxury tax in baseball as a cap you know how many when they get yeah. close to the cba or i guess when you're just a middle free agent like we were they're like oh we're we're really against the luxury tax we don't know but if they really want to do they just go over and they don't care they know how to manipulate <laughs> but, by one shot time. yeah it's like oh well i guess you don't really want me but, well, my it, one it shot, works in the team's favor 99% of the time because when the team needs to make a trade, it's just like, ah, oh, that's just business. But when a player says, I want to be traded, it's like they're unloyal, they're ungrateful, they're you know, prima yeah. donna or whatever. Yeah, true. A team cannot pay you and they'd be like, oh, it's smart business. They need to save cap space. But a player says, no, I'm holding out for my money. And they'd be like, how dare you kind of thing, you know? So it, I see yeah. that a lot across all sports now too. How... Uh if you just request a trade, you have to get traded. Like, let's say Damian Lillard asks to get traded. Like, you, you have to be traded? No, you don't have to. But you put pressure on them by maybe being up on a contract year coming up and saying, I'm not going to resign with you and you're going to lose me for nothing. So you might as well trade me and get some sort of value back in return. Um, you could have been like Damian Lillard and been there for 10 plus years. And they just want to do right by you because they haven't built a winner around you. There's different scenarios as to how it works out. But most of the time, it's upcoming negotiations that are coming 
Um, your agent has a couple other players that they can leverage and say, hey, if you want this guy, you need to make sure that you get my guy where he needs to go kind of thing. So there's a lot of back rubbing going on. Well, if he cut in half his $50 million salary, maybe they could build another winner. Why the player always had to cut in half. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why we don't have a cap. Exactly. That's why they don't have a cap. Yeah. You got anything else for him, Steve? Well, yeah, you played overseas for a little bit, right? Yeah. What was that like? It was cool. Uh, my stepdad is from Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, he raised oh, okay. me. So he married my mom when I was three years old. Um, and so we would go visit his family and spend time in Tel Aviv. So when the NBA went on a lockout, when they were in negotiations, there was no basketball. And so I got an opportunity to play for the team that I went to pl- watch as a kid. So it was kind wow. of very oh, similar yeah, Laker situation with me. And I went to play for Maccabi Tel Aviv in Israel. Um, yeah. And that was coached by David Blatt, who ended up coming back and coaching LeBron and the Cavs. Yeah. Um, he was my coach yep. in Israel. Um, so I got a chance to do that. And I had an out that once the collective bargaining got figured out, I could come back to the NBA. So I went there, played half the season and came back to the NBA when we started back up, but then created a great market for myself out there. So I had a three-year yep. deal with Jersey, ended up opting out of my deal to um, go play in Europe. And at the time, I was the highest paid player in Europe. I signed a three-year deal to play there. Um, felt that I had more to offer in the NBA, so opted out of my last two years in Europe and came back to the Lakers. So um, gotcha. it was the first time as a pro that I got to just play. You know, David Blatt, I would come there and have like 10 points and assists. We'd win by 20. He pulled me in the office. He's like, that's not what I brought you here for. <laughs> like, people want to see me play. Um, I'm done. I'm done. So if you want – pull on your jersey. I'll tell you, I want to get out of your way and just do your thing, you know? And so it was the first time as a, yeah. as a pro that I really, really got to play, play. And that was really intriguing to me at the time. I had won championships. I had got some money. I got more money to go over there. So, and it was a good life experience to live abroad. You know, I lived in Tel Aviv, Israel and Istanbul, Turkey, which are two amazing cities. Yeah. Now I've always wondered, cause like we have, I always ask guys that go to Japan or Korea and they come back and play you know, in the big leagues, I'm like, dude, I, I got to hear the stories of what those countries are like. I'm always fascinated by it, you know. So for you to go and play at the, your, ch- you know, another childhood team, man, over overseas, that's pretty sick. Yeah, it was it was really fun. Yeah, it's fun. I'll just cut myself out. Can you my get over there? Dying on my, cam- my battery's dying on my camera, so I'm just I'm out for the visual. <laughs> that's all good. No, nah, man, this has been great. Um, uh, if, if Kent, if you're good, I'm good. I mean, that was. No, that was I'm good. I think this was exactly what I wanted to talk about. Reason, I mean, Sweet. the mental game. I just love. We just love talking about failure. We love talking about perseverance. I love everyone's story. Like you came from high expectations, but hearing your story is you really pushed yourself and did it yourself, which is why you're such a good dude. And if anyone doesn't want, everyone wants to build a house in Las Vegas, Jordan's your guy. <laughs> There we go. Hey, I'm, I'm doing high-end real estate now. It's it's fun. It's challenging. You get to work with a team. Um, it's, it's good. He, the really nice house is Steve. Maybe you should move out here and buy one, have Jordan build you one. You should see this house he's building. It has, it's ridiculous. He, but, yeah, give me on that golf course, and maybe we can uh, we figure something out. Come on out, man. Anytime. Come on out. He'll get, his course is sick. Anytime, brother. Yeah, I, I, I'm serious. I'd, I'd fly out there to play. Maybe you'll come actually. Have you been to Vegas? I've never been to Vegas. Are you serious? Oh gosh. Oh, man. <laughs> out of the <laughs> rock you live under. Yeah, you're missing out, man. <laughs> yeah, but we're trying to get come to come watch the, the Las Vegas A's in a couple of years. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we you go. Can, maybe we'll be the broadcast guys. They should hire us to be the broadcast guys if they're smart. We're going to get a basketball team, too. We'll get a basketball team, too? We're going to get a basketball team. Oh, wow. 
Place to be. Let's go, Steve. A couple years. <laughs> well, sweet, guys. Well, hey, I really enjoyed it. And uh, oh, we got a little fan. Come here. Come here, Lee. Yeah, we're trying to get to 500 subscribers, Jordan. So let's try go. to make this push by my birthday, which is a, yeah. in a month. So I don't know if I'm going to help you, but I'm no. glad to be here with y'all. No, for, uh, yeah, this is a great conversation. Any conversation we get to have is great. But uh, for those of you that are follow, get your other friends to follow. Get us to 500 subscribers for my birthday. Appreciate it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All, All right, right, guys. All right, later. Appreciate it, Jordan. All right. Later, later man. Say bye.